Welcome back to I'd Rather Be Reading Friends, where on the program today we have the dynamic Amy O'Dell, a writer and editor I have long admired, who just so happens to have a pretty fascinating second book, Anna, the biography, hitting shelves on May 3rd. Anna is about none other than Dame Anna Wintour, editor-in-chief at American Vogue for 34 years and also global chief content officer and artistic director at Olive Condé Nast, Vogue's publisher. Anna's influence and impact is enormous and impressive. And this biography of her is probably my favorite book I've read so far in 2022. Amy, for her part, is a fashion and culture journalist, a former editor at Cosmopolitan, a columnist for Business of Fashion, and a writer for outlets like New York, Time, Bloomberg Business Week, and more. This is her second book. Her first is her memoir, Tales from the Back Row, an outsider's view from inside the fashion industry. And in our conversation today, we take a deep dive into one of the most famous women in the world, who is simultaneously one of the most mysterious. Take a listen. Amy, welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. This is a total fangirl moment for me because I have loved you for so long since your Cosmo editor days. And I think I told you uh, just a moment ago that we, I initially reached out to you to have you come on the show to talk about your first book, Tales from the Back Row, which is your memoir. And then you were like, well, wait a minute. If you can wait a couple months, I've got a second book coming out that you might want to talk to me about. And sure enough, I I definitely want to talk about Anna Wintour. And I'm just, I'm so happy you're here. I'm, I'm having a total fangirl moment. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me and yeah, for saying so, so many things. Oh, yes. And I said in the intro that this is my book of 2022 so far, and I think it will remain that way. So thinking about your two books, Tales from the Back Row and now Anna, the biography, these two books have some overlaps in the fashion world, obviously, but they're also markedly different. So how did you decide on Anna Wintour as the subject of your second book? Yeah. So yes, they are very different books. The first book was a humor essay collection. The second book is a biography, (laughs) totally different genres. The Anna Wintour idea came to me in 2018. And, you know, I thought the opportunity with her as a subject was massive because I have long been fascinated by her. But also if you think about business leaders in general, not just in fashion, but outside too, like Jeff Bezos of Amazon, for instance, he ran that company for 27 years. Anna Wintour has been at the helm of Vogue for 34 years, which is remarkable. And she's someone who many people know from Meryl Streep's depiction of her and the Devil Wears Prada. However, that's a really one-dimensional view of her. And she's someone who has to deal with mistakes and difficulties at Connie Nast and Vogue. She's a gracious hostess at home. She has a warm and loving family life. And she's someone who uh, wants to be remembered as a philanthropist instead of as a magazine editor. And these are just some of the things that surprised me about her when I was reporting the book. And I think that the book pulls back the curtain on someone who, despite this public position for so long, has remained an enigma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's surrounded in mystery, even though she is one of the most famous women in the world. And I'm wondering how many times 
have you run into Anna out in the wild, if you will, of the fashion world? I mean, she sits on the front row. I know your book was called Tales from the Back Row, but I'm sure you've run into her over the years, right? Uh, yeah. So as I mentioned in the author's note of the book, I had sort of had a job interview with her before I right, embarked on, right, this, right. on this reporting. Yeah. And I had had another job interview with her before, which I wrote about in Tales from the Back Row. And she's someone who, yes, if you go to Fashion Week, which I no longer do, although it's been a pandemic, so it's been a bit off off the past couple of years anyway. Uh, yes, she's there. She's always there. She's the first person to arrive. She's famous for that, sitting in her front row seat. Um, she's not really someone, though, that people will, I mean, people do sometimes go up to her and have a fan moment with her. And actually one of her friends told me, uh, like if she is at the airport and someone comes up to her, who's a fan, she will take a selfie with them. Wow. Um, but yeah, when she's out at industry events, I, I think that that probably happens less. I, I, I can't say that when I've observed her on the front row, I've seen a whole lot of that happening. Um, you know, I think in the industry, like she's just kind of there and it's just kind of a fact. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine, I would probably be far too intimidated to go up and say anything, but I would definitely be sneaking glances from wherever I was in the room for sure. Yeah. So, she's an intimidating person, which I talk about in the book. Absolutely. So the book starts out with just the most interesting anecdote set the day after the 2016 presidential election. I almost don't want to spoil it for readers, but why choose to start the book there? I thought so hard about the introduction, actually. I knew that I wanted to open with the perfect anecdote. And Anna is someone who, as I said, people have a strong idea of from the film, The Devil Wears Prada. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to go so much deeper. I had the opportunity to do that in a biography. And I wanted people to know right away that this book was going to challenge their preconceived notions of her uh, while also delving into the things that they know about her and exploring those sides of her personality. And I just thought that the opening scene I thought it was so surprising. And I think that it captured her contradiction. I think it captured that complicated nature that so many people told me she has. Mm -hmm. It's funny, when I was reporting this book, I asked a lot of people, is she an introvert or an extrovert? And people couldn't come to consensus on that question, Yeah, <laughs> which I thought was fascinating. But one word that people would independently bring up a lot is complicated. She is someone who is complicated. Yeah. Well, aren't we all, right? I mean, aren't we all? So I want to rewind back to her childhood for a moment. I want to know how her childhood shaped her. And I think from reading your book, two formative events were her older brother, Gerald, died in an accident when Anna was just under two years old. And I believe Gerald was about five years old. And then, of course, her father, Charles Wintour, was an editor himself, very famously. And I think that really shaped Anna's desire to be an editor. So tell us a little bit about Anna's childhood. Yeah, Anna Wintour had... Um you know, I think particularly by American standards, a rather unusual childhood. She grew up in London. She was the daughter of Charles Winter, who was a very well-respected and well-known Fleet Street editor. He ran a newspaper called the Evening Standard, mm -hmm. and he did that for a long time. And 
the evening standard, I feel like the way he ran the evening standard and the way Anna ran Vogue, I could find many parallels. Mm -hmm. Uh, For instance, the evening standard was a place where everybody wanted to work. I think you could for many years say the same of Vogue magazine under Anna and even before Anna. Mm -hmm. Um, He was very concerned with youth culture and he wanted to cover that in his newspaper. And that's one of the things that made it successful. For instance, fashion, music, if you think of 1960s London, when Anna came of age, what, what was that like? It was the youth quake, as it was called, Beatlemania, mini skirts were becoming popular. The Bob haircut became a thing, which of course she still has today. Right. So that's kind of the backdrop to her coming of age and her teenage years. And then also her dad with this, you know, rather glamorous, intellectual, fascinating job. And he brought his work home with him in the form of dinner parties. He would have politicians and well-known journalists who worked for him over to the house. And Anna had exposure to that. It wasn't the kind of British household where it was like the kids are so separate from the parents. And Anna has talked about, and I I have this in the book that, she would go to the Evening Standard and she could smell the ink wafting off the printing press. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like, you know, it sounded to me in my reporting, like the, the news, the newspaper, the media, her dad's work, it was so much a part of her life uh, when she was young. Absolutely. And we're going to obviously talk so much about her work, but I want to, I want to jump in here and talk about her marriage to David Schaefer. Anna always had a way with wooing men. I think one of the more fascinating anecdotes, and it's all fascinating, is the flower wars, men sending her flowers all the time. And uh, the one she ultimately married was psychiatrist, Dr. David Schaefer, who Andre Leon Talley said was basically the shadow editor of Vogue. And you hilariously recount in the book that someone said, listen, Anna, I think you need a shrink. And she said, I'm going to marry him. I'm going to marry the shrink. So what was their marriage like? I know they had two children. People described uh, their marriage as being very close. And I think they shared a bond and fashion, actually. That's how it sounded to me, because he was someone who had known Grace Coddington, who became Mm -hmm. Anna's uh, creative director at American Vogue quite famously for so many years and is uh, another icon of of fashion. Um, But he kind of had a, a foot in her world when they met. They met in the early 80s when Anna was a fashion editor at New York Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we know, as many people know already about Anna, her work was always so important to her. She was always so ambitious. And it sounds like, uh, based on the people I spoke to who knew both of them, that they were able to um, you know, bond, share this bond over fashion, over her work. And he is someone who people told me, really took her, took her seriously, took her fashion obsession seriously in a way that perhaps her family didn't always, even though her father, uh, people who knew him told me seemed to appreciate her interest in fashion and he would cover it in the paper, uh, the evening standard. Um, he was really a politics guy. His background was, was in politics and, and his siblings, Um, None of them went into fashion or any related industry, really. So she was kind of isolated in her family and having this interest in fashion. But with David Schaffer, you know, what people observed was that he just put her on a pedestal. He he didn't see fashion as something that was frivolous. And, uh, you know, by all accounts, he helped her. His advice 
and his guidance uh, helped her in these very crucial moments of her career. Yeah, and, and her career obviously is legendary. It turns out, interestingly enough, that probably the most iconic editor-in-chief of all time was actually fired from Harper's Bazaar at one point. And then her career trajectory took her from lesser known books like Viva and Savvy to, as you just mentioned, New York and Home and Garden before she became Grace Mirabella's number two at American Vogue. So I'd love to know what their relationship was like, because as you write in the book, Anna was not really a number two sort of person. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. So actually my favorite part of the book was uh, the like Vogue, those Vogue years with Grace Mirabella and the transition, like from when Anna, uh, towards the end of the New York Magazine section to when she becomes editor-in-chief of Vogue, those were my favorite parts of the book. Yeah. But yeah, so Grace Mirabella uh, became the editor-in-chief of Vogue in the early 70s. She took over from Deanna Vreeland, who was adored and remains, I think, a well-loved icon in fashion and in culture. Um, and she was very impactful and Grace Mirabella was as well. And she was a very, uh, she had a very practical approach to fashion. She needed to make the magazine something that would be appealing to working women uh, in the seventies. So something less fanciful than Deanna Freeland's vision for 1960s Vogue. And Anna, we see over the course of the book how she kind of went from someone who was maybe more of that fanciful Vreeland-esque type fashion editor to someone who became a lot more practical, which uh, ultimately I think is what was necessary to ascend to the helm of American Vogue at the time that she did. Um, so she started at American Vogue as creative director in the early 80s, 82 or 83, mm -hmm. and she had to be the number two to Grace Mirabella. However, the dynamic was very complicated, as I think it may have always been at Conde Nast in general, because Alexander Lieberman, who oversaw all the magazines, was really the one who brought Anna in, and she really reported to him. So she was able to kind of sidestep Grace Mirabella and go directly to Alex Lieberman. And, you know, imagine you're Grace Mirabella, that's kind of an awkward dynamic, right? right. Right. So he, you know, she was kind of undermined by Anna. And then, of course, Anna is very ambitious, very hardworking, and has very strong ideas. And Anna also works in a very different way from Grace Mirabella, which sounded like it may have created uh, some tension. So Grace Mirabella was someone who, as I describe in the book, would have very long run-throughs. Run-throughs are the meetings where fashion editors bring in clothes and they're selected to go on photo shoots or not. And Grace Mirabella would spend hours and hours and hours and hours having these meetings. And she would have, you know, like a circle of chairs around her office and they would sit there for hours discussing the clothes. And she wanted to know why this, why that, why now? A run-through with Anna Wintour, <laughs> When she was editor-in-chief of Vogue, it was like you would you would stand, you would come in, you would have your rack, yes, no, yes, no, thanks, bye. Very direct, very boom, boom, totally, boom. Yeah, totally different styles. So these are the things that I think probably created tension. However, that said, this is the thing I think people get wrong about Anna Wintour. She's not someone who's like having rows with people, you know, it's not right. like they were having fights. It's not like it was an outward disdain. Um, there may have been a tension in the air, something that you feel, 
but she's not someone that's confrontational. And so it wasn't like their relationship, despite all those things, you know, contributing to an awkwardness that other people were privy to. Um, it's not like their relationship was like, you know, outwardly fighting or tense, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I could never see her, you know, raising her voice at, at someone. She's, she's far too composed for that. I feel like, don't you think? Exactly. She's someone who has strong ideas. Many people said that she has strong ideas about behavior and Mm -hmm. etiquette. Absolutely. So then from there, she becomes editor-in-chief of British Vogue from 1985 to 1987. That of course required her to, after moving to New York City, move back across the pond for those two years. But then in 1988, excuse me, she became editor-in-chief at American Vogue. And she's 38 years old, I believe. Um, She finally landed her dream job. And she's been at it for 34 years and counting. For context, I am 35. So she's basically been editor-in-chief of American Vogue as long as I've been alive. What is Anna's secret sauce? I mean, I think her ambition, but what makes her so successful? Is it her work ethic? What unique traits does Anna have that makes her as legendary as she has become? Yeah, she, I think it's really a combination of two things, actually. One, Connie Nast is a corporation, It's an office, there's bureaucracy, it's a big company. You have to navigate that. Anybody who's worked in an office probably has some idea of corporate politics. I think Anne is good at at dealing with that. Someone told me that um, when they started working for her around like the 2010s, they were, and she was in, you know, a very big position. Uh, She was a celebrity, you know, she was really this Anna that we know her to be today at that time. Uh, this person was surprised that she had to deal with all the bureaucracy of Conde Nast. It wasn't like she got a pass because she was a celebrity editor. Mm -hmm. I thought that was very interesting. Um, So I think she's someone who's good at functioning in that kind of corporate environment. However, she's also someone who was a fashion editor for a very long time. Uh, You know, she was in the trenches making the content. Um, and I talk about all of those jobs that she had in the book. You do in great detail, which I appreciate because I didn't know some of that. And it was fascinating to read. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, she had done all that work and she loves creative people. This is something so many people who are close to her said she loves creative talent. She's so drawn to that. So she's someone who's really good. And I think this is the challenge in the publishing business in general, right? You have the creative editorial side of the business, and then you have the uh, business ad sales side of the business and an editor chief has to sit between those two sides and make them function together. And Anna Wintour, I just think is somebody who can do that really, really well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, corporate people at Condé Nast really like working with her. And a lot of people on her team told me, you know, she was a really good boss. Well, that's a perfect segue to my next question. So you, you've mentioned this before in our interview already, but the devil wears Prada, right? Uh, the book, and then later the movie starring Meryl Streep, loosely based on Anna and Vogue. Um, I absolutely love, by the way, I had forgotten this because the devil wears Prada, the movie came out, what, like 15, 16 years ago. I had forgotten that Anna attended the premiere of the movie and she wore Prada. I love that I love her being in on the joke I find that absolutely genius but that 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 movie and that book are just such a a small fraction of who this complicated 
dynamic, wonderful woman is. What is what is it like to work with Anna Wintour? Your book called I love this. Your book, your writing is beautiful, by the way. And your book calls her icy and scary and fabulous. So <laughs> what is it like to work with her? She's a she's a tough boss. I think people so Mark Holgate, who has worked for Anna for many years, um, I think. Oh, I would want to check this. I want to say it's like two decades almost, maybe. But Mark Holgate is a wonderful editor who has worked for her for a very long time. And he said, you know, look, it's a lot of work. Like she gets up really early. She can start emailing you before six when she wants something done. She wasn't done right away. I mean, a lot of people said that, not just Mark Holgate. But he said it's also addictive. Uh, I think this world of fashion um, under Anna, I think it's it's extraordinary. If you love fashion, if you love publishing, you know, you work at Vogue under Anna, you have access to her extraordinary world and her extraordinary connections and all these things that she's asked to advise on all the time. And this is something that I think makes her so powerful is that people are asking for her opinion. Powerful people are asking for her opinion on things all the time. Uh, and there's examples throughout the book of this, for instance, Bradley Cooper, when he had a script for A Star is Born, of course, the amazing film starring Lady Gaga, sent uh -huh. it to Anna for, ad for advice. <laughs> um, yeah. When he was working on The Greatest Showman, he invited Anna and some senior members of her team to a meeting to get their input on the film. I mean, these things are happening all the time. It's not just the fashion designer appointments that we see, you know, in headlines of Women's Wear Daily. And yes, she's advising those as well. Another person told me that um, not only is her inbox like page six, of course, the uh, famous gossip page of the New York Post, but also they did not see a single major designer appointment that she was not involved in. Yeah, I mean, her, her influence is, you call it in the book, you call her influence profound and unmatchable. It's it's not just fashion. It is, is long transcended fashion into culture, every corner of culture. And I think it's probably even bigger than we realize it is. I mean, as big as we think it is, it's bigger. And so can you just even begin to explain the influence this woman has? Again, not just on fashion, but on culture as a whole. Yeah, I think the Met Gala is a good thing to look at too. Um, that will take place on May 2nd this year. It's the day before your book comes out, which I know is timed and that's brilliant on your part too. The, I have to give my, my publishing, my publisher credit for that, that idea about the, the brilliant timing truthfully, but there's a lot of details in the book about the Met Gala and the story of it and how Anna took it over and how she turned it into what we know it as today. The Met Gala I believe eclipses the Oscars now in terms of a red carpet fashion event. A thousand percent. Yes. Yeah. You agree too. Yeah. With, um, you know, that just that huge significance in the fashion and cultural landscape, internationally recognized red carpet. It's the biggest internationally recognized red carpet event of the year. And it's kind of funny that that has happened. And I think it's only happened recently that it's eclipsed the Oscars because it, it used to be called the Oscars of the East coast. I don't really think I would call it that anymore. I think it's- I wouldn't either. I yeah, wouldn't either. Just the, the Met, you just say the Met and people know what it is. And but, Monday in May is forever blocked on my calendar. I've never have plans because I just sit there and watch people arrive. And it's 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 my Super Bowl. I love it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's so much fun. Um, but Anna has really grown that from 
a New York society party to this huge, huge event. And she's done that over many years. She started planning the gala in 1995. And as I think I mentioned, she wants to be someone whose who's legacy is for her philanthropy, not for her magazine editing work. And the Met Gala is the ultimate manifestation of that. And knowing that she has that desire about her legacy, you can see why she would put so much uh, so much work into the Met Gala. And for her, what people said about her is that, you know, each year it's about raising more and more money. And that's why these, the very high ticket prices, they steadily tick upward. It costs a lot of money to go, but people will pay it because it's Anna. Yeah. And she has really made it a celebrity event. Uh, I feel like that really began in 1995. Uh, that was a big turning point where there was an exhibit in the Costume Institute, which the Met Gala opens, of course, um, about rock and roll fashion. And that was a very celebrity-oriented event. And, you know, that aspect of it really only grew from there. Um, but looking at Anna's influence, uh, not just at the Met Gala, but a little bit outside of that, another story that I, I really thought was so fascinating, I was able to interview Serena Williams, mm -hmm. and she and Anna are friends. And she told me that she was struggling with tennis. Anna, of course, is a famous tennis fan and player herself. Right. But Serena Williams told me she was struggling with tennis at one point. And she talked to Anna, whose advice she wants on all aspects of her life. And Anna gave her some advice that she said enabled her to win Wimbledon. I was, I was so surprised by that. I, I'm not because Anna just, she's, she's just so ambitious and so, studied and composed and I just she's formidable is what she is she is a force in in not just fashion but just in in her life she is she is a a tour de force in her own life and that extends out into her influence on others and she's she's one of my heroines I mean I told you offline a moment ago how much magazine editors mean to me and Anna is the magazine editor you know she is she is the force and you know my last question for you many many moons from now when Anna is no longer at Vogue and maybe even when she's no longer on this earth in the far distant future what will Anna be remembered for what will her legacy be yeah I I've thought about that question so much as you can imagine right, over the course right. of writing the book I think that she's going to be remembered as much for her personage, her persona, her yeah. iconic image, her intimidating nature, um, as much as she will be remembered for any of her work as a magazine editor. I also think she's really going to be so well known for architecting the Met Gala. And, um, you know, I, I wonder, I actually wonder what you think about this, but I think the Met Gala might even eclipse Vogue these days as like a, a cultural touchstone. And I would agree with that. And I hate to say that because I'm a magazine writer. I know you are as well. Magazines are, are, are closing all over the place, but the Met Gala is, is as hot as it's ever been, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. And it starts so much conversation on social media. I mean, Vogue's covers and um, Vogue stories still do that. But the Met Gala, it, it is such a big moment in our digital culture. Um, so yeah, I think she's going to be known for, like, I have the book. <laughs> she's going to be known for being like this woman with like the sunglasses and the hair. And yep. um, that cover, it has everything, her bob haircut, her sunglasses, just that's her. That's her. Her image, her image we, is so iconic. 
we felt strongly she should be wearing the sunglasses on the cover, but uh, yeah, well, we thought- have to have her in sunglasses on the cover. One right? good decision. I thought, so I think she's going to be remembered as much for, you know, that image of who she is, and, you know, and it's a powerful image too, I think, um, being very powerful, being that woman as much as any one thing that she has done. Well, I'm a fan of yours, a fan of Anna's and a huge fan of this book. Anna, the biography hits shelves May 3rd, perfectly timed the day after the Met Gala on May 2nd. You will want to read it immediately. And I believe you can pre-order it now. So get that checked off your list this weekend because it is fantastic. Thank you so much for being here today, Amy. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Amy. This book is an absolute must read. I recommend it for all fashion lover or not. We'll be back soon with our next episode, but in the meantime, feel free to reach out always at hello, I'd rather be reading at gmail.com and tell me what books you're loving this year. Talk soon.